0: It's good to be with you this morning. I'm Tom Taylor. I am the, uh, <clears throat> the rookie that they asked to come in to, so Tony and Heidi could go have a good time and somewhere. And uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. I'm district superintendent of the Southern California District, and it's always a joy to be with this church. What an exciting church. And I love all that has happened here. You know, you create a sense of expectancy when you arrive in this parking lot all the way to, to your seat it happens and i'm certainly observant of that and i hope you haven't got used to that but that's that's tremendous and thank you for that and you also are taking care of one of taking care of our daughter tiffany uh she's in in uh, where's it at she's at dublin or something like that i don't know where she's traveling all over the world right now while mom and dad stay home alone and uh But thank you for taking care of one of our precious treasures. appreciate that so much. And the fact that not only that, we utilize so many of your folk here in this church to help us with many district matters. And you have blessed the Church of the Nazarene in so many wonderful ways. Thank you for that. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 5 and stand with me, if you would, for the reading of the word. Luke chapter 5, verse 1, it is exciting to go tell it on the mountain, or tell it in mission, what Christ has done in your heart, a transformative work, and it's even more exciting to watch that transformative work in the lives of others, to see where they've been and what they've become through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the most exciting work there is on this planet. And I love to be a part of it every day, watching God work. Well, this is an interesting chapter because this is the calling of the first disciples. It's all about that uh, mission and, in a sense, a meta- metaphor, a story that just kind of says, hey, hey, fellas, you know, you all probably think in images anyways. Uh, let me just kind of help you through this. What this whole thing is about. And that's why we want to read this this morning. So Luke chapter 5. Follow with me if you would. As I read out of this version of the word. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening. Listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down, taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon. Put out into deep water. Let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, "Master, um, we've we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so." I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled their boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell. At Jesus' knees. What a peculiar reaction. And he said, go away from me. Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee and Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And they pulled their boats up on the shore. And they left everything. Everything. And they followed him. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that today that you'll speak to our hearts and to our minds. That we we would grasp. Some of your passion, your purpose, so that we would understand who it is that we are. That we would know the power and the life, the impact of the Holy Spirit in and through our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 20 years ago, just got to Southern California. I had no idea that God would put us out here. I always thought, well, that's that long, faraway country. I'm from Kansas City. And uh, then on to Missouri, heading towards the east. And uh, we got this call from a district superintendent one day and said, we we want you to come out and interview at a church. I had a lot of fellas that... In the ministry, fellow pastors who love to play practical jokes. So I just knew Dr. Hall was not authentic. And he was lying to me. That was really one of my friends. It took him ten minutes to persuade me that he really was a district superintendent. And he didn't want me to come out here to this Southern California. Well, we found ourselves out here. We visited uh, San Diego came upon one of these sites where they do ocean fishing. I've never done that before. That would be kind of fun. Said something to my wife. She said, well, you got two hours to get ready. Why don't you go on one of those 24-hour fishing trips? It was kind of cold out. I didn't even have a sweatshirt, so I just jumped into some shop here and there, grabbed stuff. I didn't know what was good, what was cheap, what was effective. Whatever it was, I just grabbed it and bought a some clothing, and jumped on that boat. He looked at the water, it was calm. (laughs) But they began to head out for an eight-hour trip out the middle of nowhere, I don't know where it is, where they thought we could be very effective at catching albacore. But that trip out there went from still to four foot, six foot swells. And this old land lover just couldn't handle that very much. Here I was on top side, making frequent trips to the side rail back and forth for a little business. Trying to get my balance thrown left and right. Looking at the window inside the upper where they feed people. And the water would literally come up above the window and then back down. All just kind of like this. Oh, all... I thought I'm not going to make this. This is incredible. I'll go down into whatever they call that down below, where you go and you get in this little berth, and you and you hope that maybe you'll be okay. But within two minutes, it threw me up and out and onto the floor. And for the next eight hours, that was my life—just trying to hold on and find a way to stabilize in that berth. Oh, my stomach was round and going this way and that way and. I was sick, and in the morning, it finally stabilized fog, and well, to make a long story short, when I came back, I had caught one fish, <laughs> and if you ever asked me if I ever wanted to go again on something like that, well, at that time, I wasn't too excited about doing that Again. In the early church, fishing was quite a metaphor. And among things, it would point to this story and remind us, followers of Jesus Christ, who we are and what we're here for. In fact, some of the architecture, literally, when you'd look up, you'd see the upside-down hull of a boat, what seemed to be, reminding the church Of our identity. That we are fishers of people. That's who you are. That's who I am. And that's where we'll find our joy. In the midst of that activity. I look at this story and I see some rather interesting things because I think I believe Jesus was telling this story on purpose to the first disciples to say, get it straight. There's some indicatives here that you need to remember all your life. And I see a lot of valuable gems here. The story of Jesus and the miracle of the catch. And I think it's profoundly relevant to the contemporary church. I think it to be that commissioning metaphor that we are called to catch people. It it begins here in verse 2 by showing what I tend to think as inappropriate behavior. A behaviorism that just shouldn't be there. Instead of catching fish, these fishermen were washing their nets. And I think it's there for a reason. You see, washing your nets is what a fisherman does when he's not catching fish. His number one job, catch fish. But it's not happening. They caught nothing. They had given up. And uh, therefore, they busied themselves at other tasks. They were taking care of maintenance, if you will. And many times within the church, we have this propensity to be more a maintenance-minded church than a missionary-minded church. And we fill our schedules with all the things we can do while we're sitting on the shore. And that could cover all kinds of activities. And we need to ask the very central question, what is it that we're here to do? What are we here for? Maybe we've abandoned evangelism because we're busy washing our debts. And therefore, a lot of fish go uncaught because of that. Jesus and his church are to focus on lost people. We're reminded by Paul that we were once slaves of sin. There are many in this world slaves of sin. Again, in Ephesians, he said, you once lived and followed the course of this world following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work among those who are disobedient. That's who you were. But now you have a new master. You have a new spirit and a new source of power. So what are we doing? Are we engaged as transformational agents in this world, there are some tremendous things that are happening. I'm obsessed with some of the leadership within the Church of the Nazarene that are making a difference. One too long ago, bought myself a ticket and headed to different parts of the country to look at some churches that are doing some astounding things in the Church of the Nazarene. One particular one was in El Paso, Arkansas. When I got out there, it was just four corners. And well, over here there was a fast food rest, restaurant and one gas station. And this church is three years old. And when I met the pastor, he's got a cowboy hat on. It's kind of different than me. I mean, he's 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 just not a horse person. He's a cowboy. He he helped me understand the difference. Rather peculiar church. Is when I walked in, one third of it is a chapel. Where we can meet like this. And it had all that flair and decor that have everything to go with a rodeo arena. The other two thirds of that building was a rodeo arena. It was a arena centered ministry. It was affinity base. Three years alive. That pastor had pastored for some 25 years and only known nominal growth, and and somehow he made this transition, and he met the challenge from his district superintendent, go out and plant a church. No, I'd rather stay where I'm safe. He said, oh, no, you! in fact, I understand you like to rope calves. You know, yeah, I do. He's a truck driver. That's his other job. Well, why not build a church along that line? He did, bottom line. The thing took off. It averages 800. Last year alone, last year alone, 360 people join the Church of the Nazarene as profession of faith. They were organized two years earlier. Every service has got someone either being baptized or coming up and saying, I want a covenant and give myself to the Church of the Nazarene. He is a transformational leader. Everything they do in the church, he has kind of a walk around leadership and says, I see what you're doing. This is exciting. Tell me the story. But is anyone coming to Christ through this? I need to hear that. And how are they moving and progressing in life? What's the influence of what it is that you're doing? And there's a good reason why that thing took off. And by the way, I didn't get the story from him. I got the story from the board. And they were telling me how God had changed their lives, transformed their lives. These things are happening. They're exciting things. When I look at this passage, and we're going to need to move through this rather quickly, because I see my time's coming up here really quick. There are some things I want to make you aware of. Things that are important for a church movement, I think. I think that's what Christ was saying. Do these things. You can experience growth. The first one would come out of verse 4. He says, put out into deep water. Deep water is kind of traditionally a symbol of uncertainty. Engaging in the unknown. Maybe rubbing up against danger. And really exchanging your relative safety of the shore for deep water. And uh, in other words, Jesus was inviting them into jeopardy. And unpredictable encounters with forces beyond their control. A lot of times we want to know what's going to happen before we move. And here Christ is saying, venture out into the deep where the fish are that need to be caught. And the missionary church is forever in deep water, always risking, always taking chances as it tries to carry that gospel to the unchurched in, in many different ways that it can, in words and ways, so that others can understand it. It's not maintenance-minded. It's moving forward, not unwilling to change. The night, in reference, in verse 5, is, is also a metaphor for aimless, direction. Bliss, purpose-less life. You know, I, I, this is a whole new experience for me as a district superintendent. And I'll run into pastors who are just tired, exhausted, not happy anymore. Sometimes angry. The fruit level in their life is not there. And it's hard for them to to somehow make sense of what they've been called to do. They feel like they are indeed a part of a maintenance-minded church. What do I do? In my profound counsel, my less than a, a few words statement of response... I analyze the, psychologically the situation, I say to them, plant a church. And they look at me and say, what are you, nuts? In fact, some of them just don't. They do say that to me. There's something about engaging in this world and engaging in people who don't know Christ on, in, in a way that is, uh, has uh, intention intentional. In fact, I like what what one has said. It's part of the Baptist Church. A well, things have happened there, but listen to what he says about planting church. The vigorous continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for the numerical growth of the Church of Christ in any city, and the continual corporate renewal and revival of the existing church in a city Nothing else, not crusades, not outreach programs, not parachurch ministries, not growing megachurches, not congregational consulting, nor church renewal processes, will have the consistent impact of a dynamic, extensive church planting. That's what we need to do when we really are interested in reaching lost people. The second thing I see here... Simon Peter listens to the words of his Lord and obeys it. And although he's filled with doubt, uh, he does what he's told. We, we see that launch out of the deep water, let down your nets. Well, if you say so, I will. So not only is it risk, but it's obedience. Even when we just don't understand it all. Obedience. A lot of district churches right now are seeing this transition, excitement. Even though they don't understand it, they're engaging. And we're hearing phenomenal stories. Some of these I've told the district assembly. They continue to to mount. We have one pastor in a year and a half planted five churches. We have a Latino pastor that's planted a church in less than a year, went to 80. And over on the other side of the border, he's back and forth all the time. They're running 400. Exciting things are taking place. But all strategically tied to this need to reach others. The third point in indicates that having let down their nets, their nets begin to break. Verse 6. So many fish. So many fish. You know what's interesting here? I think, I think there's something prophetic here. Here we have Simon Peter. Being called to reach many people and to be a fisher of people. And yet, many, many years later, we will see that there are so many people that it fills the Roman Empire. Amazing. The reward of earnest evangelism is always winning people. And he does this through Christ. The fourth is out of verse 7. I love this part. In this story, so many fish are caught that another boat has to be called. Come on over. Help us with this. You know, um, that's indicative of the connection that we must have, I think, with other entities and other churches. I love what I heard in 19 about the Church of the Nazarene. 1907, holiness-minded merger, voting unanimously that day, enthusiastically that day for the possibility and the necessity for personal corporate holiness and a passion for evangelism. To them, they began to describe as, quote, the connection. We have this connection. And because of that, we're seeing the Church of the Nazarene in 162 nations And in 165 primary languages, one body, one spirit, one hope, one faith, one Lord. Absolutely exciting. The fifth point is this Simon Peter sees what happens. And in verse eight, it tells us he falls on his feet or falls on his knees and confesses. He's so astounded by what has taken place. So astonished. I don't know about you, but if I had caught a lot of fish, I'd be jumping up and down with excitement. But the level of what had taken place was so unbelievable, he realized he was in the presence of God. And this had a divine dimension to it. And that's what's so motivational about what we do. The the excitement of seeing God interact, on a daily basis in our lives, that your will be done. Finding ourselves praying, Lord, I don't know what we're going to do. It scares me to death. But whatever it is, I'm going to go where you want me to go. Say what you want me to say. Do what you want me to do, oh Lord. And there's something energizing about that. Jesus picks, lifts him up. And tells him to be of courage. Point six. He says don't be afraid. In Christ we find forgiveness. He's on his knees confessing the fact that he had this glaring unfaithfulness. This response that just wasn't on the level of what his it should be. This disbelief. And God is about to do something tremendous in and through his life. The response is that we can find forgiveness through him and the courage to literally carry forth his purpose and his will. I love point seven. He said from now on in verse 10, you will be catching people. Or as Matthew records it, follow me and I will make you fish for people. We're meant to be missionaries. All of us. Be careful when you say, "Well, that may not be my strengths." My, that may not be there. It's an interesting what. It's interesting how God will work in those situations where you know that only He can get the credit in and through your life. When I uh, was um, in my first church, I had. Um, we had the privilege of both our children being born, and that was in a place called Flat River, Missouri. doesn't have that name anymore, and we made a lot of friends within that community, a lot of farmers. A lot of people there uh, never graduated from high school. Uh, their life assignment was kind of right in front of their face to work in the lead mines in that area. Uh, Derek... Our son was born, Tiffany, not yet. Derek was between three and four, just got out of diapers. And and, uh, one of the fellows in the church had a farm, and I thought it would be great to take the guy fishing for the first time in his life. And so we ran out to get a Mickey Mouse fishing pole. Now, there's a reason I got this size, and some of you men know why because I hope that he can keep the chaos in a smaller circle (laughs) while I get my long and wonderful tackle and fishing pole and and go out at at it in a farm pond. And it's about the time that you have the advantage of catching a lot of sunfish. And so I got his big yellow life preserver on him and put him in a boat. He and the life preserver was about the same size, and uh, sat him down and, and uh, rigged it, rigged up his uh, his fishing outfit, and I really did put a real hook on there, not this thing. I I wasn't brutal and uh, and a worm and a worm, and then I said, now Derek, what you do is you just put it over the edge and just 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 hit this yellow button. Don't do this number. And <laughs> just hit it. And uh, so he did. And I immediately turned around to put my bait on. Well, right then, this started happening. I mean, it started, and I thought, oh, he's caught a fish. Well, then this started happening. (laughs) And I realized, he's going to lose that whole fish. I grabbed over there, got my hands around him, and, and, and helped him struggle then, and he and, and said, put your hand, and held on to it because I really thought he was going to lose the pole. And he, he, he reeled in a bluegill. For you that understand bluegills, it was a one-pound bluegill. That is huge. I've never seen that in my life. And you know it got mounted in his room. That's exactly what happened there. It was amazing. And uh, so we got it off there, and, 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 and my son starts sending me, he, He's not appreciating the moment. I'm going, wow. And he's going, no, Dad, come on, hurry, hurry. Get another worm on there. Hurry, hurry, hurry. I'm, I'm trying, Derek. Don't You don't realize what you've just done. That's a huge fish. I know, but come on. And then he makes a statement that we've reflected on ever since that day. I mean, one of those statements you, you never forget. Because then he says, hurry up, Dad, because I was born to fish. <laughs> well, he's done pretty good at trying to keep that promise. <laughs> but But it's true, isn't it? We are born to fish. And sometimes we can get caught in theory and doing anything and everything. Someone asked me the other day, he says, what are you going to do when you retire? I said, I'm going to go get a class of raw Christians. who just bring in people that don't know any of the Old Testament stories. Oh, and it's just so exciting when I had the opportunity to do that in the past. To tell them the stories for the first time they've ever heard it. And to see the impact of those stories upon their life. There's such an energy there. We'd have popcorn and we'd have Kool-Aid and and motorcycles would be coming in. And people that wouldn't normally be well embraced within the 1030 service would show up for this little Bible study at 3 a.m., 3 p.m. in the afternoon. The joy of being around that. And there is something energizing when you see that take place. I love this church. I think you planted 17 churches in your history. Neil's church is still alive. A lot of exciting things that have taken place. But God just doesn't call people, call clergy to start plants. In fact, he does his best work sometimes utilizing laity. People are just so excited and got to go tell it. And God does amazing things. And oh, would you pray with me? Because one thing Dr. Busiek pointed out, that throughout all the world, they're experiencing tremendous growth. At General Assembly, he said those words. But in the USA-Canada region, we're having a hard time mirroring what real discipleship is all about. We're starting to see an upswing that's happening by those that realize that there's whatever the past has been and whatever has been associated with things called church planting or whatever that may be, or evangelism, there is an exceptional joy. And for some reason, the power of the Holy Spirit seems to be engaged in ways that are phenomenal and maybe even supernatural. And I want to pray for you that God would somehow work in and through you and give you opportunity to share your story Mm. and tell the good news to someone in your community, in your world, and that this, this church will become even more so an example of what God can do in San Diego. Will you pray with me on that? Will you pray? How many would say, I want God to use me to reach someone that doesn't know really who Christ is? Would you raise your hand with me this morning? Don't, don't say, well, I don't have those gifts. I'm not, I, I just want to ask you to enter into the supernatural dimension and ask God to use you. You know what part of that prayer is? Anytime, any place, I'll do, I'll go, I'll say, even though it scares me to death. (laughs) And you'll see God. You'll sense his power. Take a risk. Develop that courage. Courage believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and he will do astounding things in your life let's pray our Heavenly Father we thank you for an opportunity to hear from you even more so than just some audible words but the inclination of your Holy Spirit and I believe that there is a Hunger here for a church movement. A wonderful church movement. But we got to get over ourselves. Venture out. Each and every one of us. I don't know what all that looks like. But I know it's, it's different than just feeling safe. We pray for your your anointing on each and every one of us. There may be some that don't even know who you are. In reality, I pray for their lives their heart that they would be attracted to you because they're attracted to those that they're sitting around that have given their life to you we pray that the church will always be attractive not because of what humanity has kind of programmed together but because of the astounding presence of the Holy Spirit in the midst of all things doing things that are beyond our wildest dreams astonishing people by what you, out of the love of your heart, are trying to do in and through us to reach people you love, but people who are lost. So we pray for your anointing upon all. In Jesus' name, and all said together, Amen.